Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex from ESPN Blacksburg, broadcasting live from beautiful downtown Blacksburg, Virginia, the Paris of the New River Valley. I am joined today by 50% of the usual suspects. In the 757, we have the one and only Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's going on, man? Oh, God, it's so damn hot over here, man. <laughs> I don't know what the weather's like in, in the Berg, but... It, I think it got close to 100 today. Yeah, I will say when I was in, uh, I was in the 757 last weekend, actually, and I went to play golf. And, you know, we started at like nine o'clock in the morning. It was like a cool 78 degrees. And then by hole number 16, it was like 105 degrees with the humidity. And I really didn't think I was going to make it out of that course. But luckily, uh, I'm here. So which, which course did you end up playing? I played Hell's Point. Oh my God! You played Hell's Point. No wonder it was so damn hot. <laughs> yeah, I, guess, I guess the name comes with the, with reasoning there. <laughs> but yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, I'm a survivor. I made it through. Rounds of golf are supposed to be leisurely, and I, I try my best to uh, to turn the page on that, to flip the coin, if you will. But we got plenty of stuff to talk about today, Rick. And for one. I am very excited about some of the news coming. As I look at the calendar and football season approaches, I say, oh, my God, we're actually going to do this again. Year six, Justin Fuente. I'm excited one way or the other. And I'm also excited about the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg is the pharmacy that you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, my friends. Look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts and his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. Well, Ricky, I think we should start it off with some basketball here because this is a big story in the world of Virginia Tech basketball. Tyrese Radford, there was hope for quite some time, I would say, that he would be back in the orange and maroon here in the 2021-2022 season. Alas, that will not be the case. Bradford has announced his transfer to Texas A&M. He rejoins hashtag team coach buzz and Virginia Tech after a long wait ends up disappointed. Ricky, I know that there were a ton of moving parts in this story. What stuck out to you and what's the impact on the program going forward? Does this change your projection at all? Well, it doesn't change anything once we first learned that Tyrese was back in the portal. Once he went back into the portal, I didn't really think that he was going to come back at any point, and I kind of adjusted my expectations accordingly. I mean, anytime you get rid of a guy who averages 12 points a game, um, played a big role in Virginia Tech's offense, played a big role on their on the defensive end, was one of the best rebounding guards in the country last year, averaging almost six boards a game. Anytime you remove that from the equation, you don't just replace it, really. Uh, Tyrese had this ability, this mentality on the floor that not a lot of players have. A lot of guys have talent, but not a lot of them know how to how to use it, really. And Tyrese was one of those guys where you just felt like he could flip the switch and turn it on. And not having him is going to suck. And I've kind of I had kind of resigned myself to that fact. Uh, for at least the last couple of weeks. I guess the 
the part about this that's really awful is that he is going to play with Buzz Williams. Um, it's great for Tyrese. I'm sure he'll fit right in there. Uh, he obviously knows what kind of culture he's walking into, but as a tech fan, I hate it. <laughs> I absolutely hate it. Yeah, man, I can't say I, I, I like it either. But as a tech fan, looking at some other tech fans who are a little bit salty about this, I know I'm salty too. Look. Oh, I'm but, I'm super salty. Okay, Ricky, but at the end of the day, Tyrese Radford, when he was recruited in, I believe he was class of 2018, so late 2018, was a zero-star recruit. And Buzz Williams, at the you know, he, this man didn't have any other offers. And an ACC coach spotted him and said, I want you to be a scholarship basketball player in the premier college basketball conference in the country. He set Tyrese Radford up in a way that no one else was willing to. And Tyrese Radford grabbed the bull by the horns and has obviously succeeded in, in a massive way. He was one of the better players, if not the best player, on an NCAA tournament team. If you're a free agent, if you're looking around, and the guy who gave you your opportunity comes and says, hey, you want to rejoin the party? You're at least going to consider it. And, I mean, in a way, props to him because – he is willingly signing up as an upperclassman to be part of the psychotic regimen that Buzz Williams puts his players through. He's going into a comfortable place. It is very unfortunate that legal issues were the what looks to be decisive factor between Radford being a hokey long term and the fact that now he's going to play with Buzz Williams at Texas A&M in the SEC. But for me, it's an extremely tough situation insofar as this isn't a guy that you can just go out and grab someone to replace. And I'm sure Virginia Tech at least attempted to. I know there were guys on their radar. This is information I wish we had known definitively a few months ago, right? Because there was always the potential that Tyrese Radford was going to end up back on Virginia Tech's roster if the legal issues played out the way that Mike Young and his staff would have liked. That obviously wasn't the case, and now they kind of stuck with their tail between their legs, and the guy is sort of irreplaceable. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how impactful is this? What do you think is going to be – how much does it lower the ceiling, if you will? In terms of him leaving, it's like a 7. I really think it's a huge deal. Um, it doesn't mean that Virginia Tech is going to stink on the floor, but – it does make things a lot more difficult for them to fill out that rotation. Um, Tyrese is just such an indispensable player. There really aren't that many guys in the league like it, or excuse me, that many guys in the conference like him or even in the country. Uh, he's such a unique talent, a unique style, a unique individual on the floor that, you know, you can – you can theoretically replace his production, but it, it's more than that. And it sucks that he's not going to be suiting up anymore with Virginia tech on his chest. Um, part of me wonders whether, or like how many schools were actually willing to bring him in considering the off the, off the court troubles that he had. And you figure buzz Williams would jut would be able to vouch for his character more than anybody in the country, really, since buzz recruited him in the first place. Um, so I wonder what kind of offers he had, uh, especially at the power five level, 
in order to get onto the floor somewhere. And it, it I guess it kind of caught me by surprise that he was going to Texas A&M, but the more I think about it, I shouldn't have been surprised at all. It makes perfect sense for Tyrese and, and Buzz as well. Yeah, well, we wish the best to him. Tyrese Radford was a Hokie that kind of came out of nowhere when they really needed someone to do so. So props to him and, and the best of luck going forward. But speaking of the transfer portal, we'll move to the football side. And another former starter has found himself in it. Devin Taylor, you might remember the name because he just transferred to Virginia Tech last offseason, maybe late last offseason, came from Illinois State where he was a 2019 first-team All-Missouri Valley Conference player at corner, ended up playing at the safety position a lot in 2020 for Virginia Tech, started eight games, appeared in 10, 55 tackles, two interceptions, six pass deflections. The stats were there, played alongside Divine Diablo, was a decent player for Virginia Tech, broke his leg in the spring and was just rehabbing himself back from that, but he started competing with Devin Hunter, who... Quite frankly, when the leg was broken in the spring, we didn't know if Devin Hunter was going to be on the team or not. Regardless, he finds himself in a position battle, and today we find him in the transfer portal. It's a it's a big loss in terms of depth, Ricky. What do you make of this transfer? You know, it it sucks in the sense that safety was a position I felt good in terms of depth. Um, there aren't many positions on this roster I feel really good about the depth on Virginia Tech's roster. Uh, safety was one of those. I mean, having Tate Daly, having Devin Hunter, um, having Devin Taylor, you, you at least had three guys right there that you felt like were mature enough to contribute. And now we're at a point where if one or all it takes is one or two injuries and they're in the same position that all the other position groups are at, where they don't have the talent on the bench, the experience on the bench in order to compensate for it. Um, I'm, I wasn't a huge fan of Devin last year on the field. I, I, he, he didn't seem like a physical player at all. I didn't think he played the run very well. In coverage, he was decent, uh, which is was kind of nice to pair next to Divine Diablo, who uh, progressively got better in coverage. Uh, at Virginia Tech, but that was never really his his calling per se. Uh, but Devin just didn't feel like he was a physical enough player to be a starter on a productive defense. Uh, that being said, though, losing him, again, puts you right on the ropes at safety where you you just don't have the the experience and the bodies there that you feel comfortable with them being able to handle – a, a, a big injury that could, you know, take somebody out for more than a week or two. You know, that's fair, Ricky. That's fair. And you, you see the situation with Taylor. And I think that when you get a transfer this late in camp, it became clear to him that he wasn't going to get the playing time that he otherwise would have wanted. Now, yeah, like it or not, all of these players, at least many of these players, especially anyone who starts at a power five, does view themselves as a potential professional football player. You've made it this far. And the fact that he was going to be slotted behind Devon Hunter and, and really miss the playing time would effectively eliminate his chances of going to the NFL, all right, which were slim before, altogether. So if you're Virginia Tech, you have to have a lot of faith in some of the young guys in that room. I'm talking about Keonta Jenkins, who 
was very effective last year in spots. And of course, the freshman Jalen Stroman, brother of uh, former Virginia Tech player Greg Stroman, comes in. With and you got J.R. Walker, someone who's probably going to factor into the into those positions as well. And Vanderbilt transfer Tate Daly, who I don't think yeah. we've heard a lot from. I think the, more of the hype was on the day of the transfer. It's been whispers ever since, which begs the question of how much of an impact he's actually going to make. But at least that's an experienced guy that you have in the room. And in terms of depth, it's not good. But if there was one position that could afford a little bit of attrition, I guess the safety position would be it. Because ultimately, you're kind of in the same position that you were before Devon Hunter returned. And I would like to think that Devon Hunter is going to come in and be a more effective player than we saw last year from Devin Taylor. Would you agree with that sentiment? I mean, his ceiling is higher. Um, I'm I'm curious to see if Devin is able to carve out a starting role, and if he is, I'm curious to see how he is used. I mean, he's not... Devin Taylor and Devin Hunter are two completely different players. Uh, Devin Taylor is not physical. He's much better in pass in, in pass coverage. Um, he's not someone that you really need creeping around the box because he's really not going to make a significant impact there, whereas Devin Hunter's the complete opposite. You want him around the box. You want him around the line of scrimmage. He's very physical, but there are some questions about his ability downfield and coverage. Now, maybe Devin is able to alleviate those concerns this year. Lord knows I hope so. Um, but historically, that's been the book on him, and that's why he never really caught traction in a starting role because he didn't have the the quick twitch athleticism in order to handle receivers, whether it be in space or downfield. Um, with that said, I think Devin Hunter's ceiling is higher. Um, he he has the the straight line speed. We know that. And if he's able to work on his technique and they use him properly, I think Devin can be a very impactful player for this team. Um, he'll never, I don't think he'll become the borderline five-star talent that we all thought he would be coming out of Indian River High School. But I think he can be a, a productive player at the end of his career. Yeah, the, the potential is, is certainly there for a guy like Devin Hunter. One thing that does slightly worry me is the missed time last year with the legal issues. Now, that clearly yeah, yeah, was straightened out, but that was year one in Justin Hamilton's defense, and everyone else kind of got up to speed, and you're going to have one starter that's lagging behind. So it's going to be somewhat of an extra burden on his end to be able to pick up what's going on there and, and, yeah, and try yeah. to, and try to catch up because if not, if he's constantly out of place, he's going to be targeted again and again and again, and that could be an issue. Absolutely. And the, the one thing that I think Devin really has going for him is, you know, he's motivated, right? He has been through hell and back over the last year and some change. A uh, few players, in this program have gone through what Devin has gone through. Um, he just lost a, a friend of his, Jaquan Yuli, who's a, a, a well-known former high school standout in this area, uh, played at Marshall, uh, died in a car accident a couple weeks ago. Devin and Jaquan were very good friends. Devin has is, is got the world on his shoulders right now, and 
if there's anyone in this program that is motivated to the max, I'm pretty sure it's Devin Hunter in terms of going out there and, and performing at his best. I don't think that effort and dedication will be an issue at all with him. Yeah, and that's one thing that's really always stuck out to me about Devin Hunter, right? Because what's the story when you bring in a, a high-level recruit and he doesn't pan out? It usually tends to be this guy's not putting in the work. This guy's not putting in the effort. This guy is distracted yep. off the field. And we've never got that vibe from Devin Hunter. You know, when he was working in Bud Foster's defense, who was he especially close with? It was actually Justin Hamilton. And Justin Hamilton would always come out and say – you know, say the world about him, about how he's a good guy. He's trying. We're just trying to get him there. I believe. Did it ever actually happen, Ricky? My mind is escaping me here. Did they give him a mid-career red shirt in order to try to catch yeah. him up? Yeah, yeah. He, he played four games his second year and then redshirted because he wasn't going to break into the starting rotation. He was basically just playing on special teams which is most of what he did uh, his freshman season. And it got to the point where I think they went to Devin and said, look, you know, you're, you're not there yet. Save your eligibility and give yourself a chance next year. And that's exactly what Devin ended up doing uh, for better or for worse. So he's, he's certainly mature physically at this point. He's one of the older players in the program. Um, and he is driven. He's motivated. Now it's just a matter of putting it all together on the field. And I think a lot of the physical tools are there. He's just got to put it together. Yeah, and, and talk about commitment to the program, right? Because this is a guy who initially in his recruitment, Virginia Tech wasn't necessarily the highest profile program that was after him. He ends up committing to the Hokies and accepts for a number of years, the fact that he didn't break into the starting lineup right away. In the modern-day era of college football, when you see these four- or five-star recruits go to a program and they don't really break in immediately, it's out the door. Devin Hunter didn't do that. He wants to be here. So I know that in this period of time where everything is so transient and players come and players go, and you wonder if a player has the same commitment to the university that you as an alumni or a fan do – I would look at Devin Hunter and say, this is the guy that we should all be rooting for, especially given what he's gone through the last few years. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have a lot of respect for him for how he handled that stuff. Uh, I respect his commitment to the program. I also respect the Virginia tech coaching staff for remaining committed to him. Mm -hmm. It's clear that the coaching staff has a different view than uh, what the legal outcome of that case was. And my understanding is that the coaching staff is correct in their view that the, the situation was a lot more complicated than what we all originally thought it was. Indeed. And I respect the, I respect the coaches for giving him another chance. I respect them for making him earn it. And it sounds like Devin has earned it. And now he's back with the team on a full-time basis. And, you know, as a program, it's important to make sure that you have you you, you don't allow uh, bad personalities to run rampant in your in your program. But ultimately, you also have to be able to help these these young men develop and grow in, into mature adults. And sometimes that means putting up with their mistakes um, for better or for worse. And I, I applaud the tech program for giving him a chance here. Um, and hopefully Devin can make the most of it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to that point, Ricky, 
Justin Fuente and his staff have not been known to let bad behavior nope. go unpunished. There has really been a the buck stops here mentality from Fuente, and we have seen see Trayvon Hill, Mook Reynolds, contributing players. Mook Reynolds yes, is another one, very talented, major contributors be dismissed from the team for things that happened off the field. That's clearly not the case here. I think it speaks to Hunter's character, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table here in 2021. Uh, three guys that won't bring something to the table in 2021, though. Uh, injuries in camp. And I know as Virginia Tech fans, we are all holding our breath about injuries in camp, especially given the depth issues that we've seen. Uh, Ricky, what do you make of these ones? Linebacker Will Johnson, defensive tackle Desmond Mamudi, and wide receiver William I can't even pronounce that last name. Kakavitas? Kakavitas. 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 Uh, yes. All out I was I was forced to learn how to pronounce his name when there became a legitimate chance he was going to play in the, in the game for Virginia Tech. Um, none of these injuries really changed the the projection for the program. Will Johnson was a, a redshirt candidate from the get-go. Uh, he needs to develop physically, and that's quite honestly most linebackers. Uh, Desmond Mamoudi, same boat. You don't really need or want true freshmen playing uh, in the interior. It's just it's such a a demanding position physically that you really want these guys to have a chance to mature in that fashion. And then Kakavitsa is a former walk-on, um, so he's not someone who necessarily has a lot of physical tools. He's definitely someone that the the coaching staff trusts uh, to be able to at least execute. Uh, basic concepts and to be able to handle the game plan. And cause that's why he's, I'm pretty sure he's on scholarship now. Um, again, n- none of these three injuries are massive. It, it more sucks for the long-term future of these guys. A- anytime a prospect has their red shirt year interrupted by injury, it can hinder their development a lot. And we see this a lot in spring where if you have a young guy who, just can't stay healthy in spring practice. It really hinders their development. I think we saw that a lot with Vinny Mahota a few years ago for someone who was literally injured almost every spring he was in the program. Mm-hmm. And I think in a lot of ways it kept Vinny from getting to that next level and becoming a, an elite contributor rather than just a reliable contributor. Uh, so you, hopefully those guys are going to be able to get back into the spring and be full goes then. Um, considering two of these are knee related, I'm not sure that's going to be the case, uh, but we'll, we'll have to see. One more topic I want to touch on before we wrap up what is a briefer than usual edition of Hokey Hangover, but you know, we don't have our boy Mike with us today. Don't worry. Mike will be back soon. He's just got some stuff he needs to deal with. You mentioned to me that you wanted to talk about an ACC big 10 Pac 12 Alliance. Now, this conference realignment stuff is super complicated. I think that we had one of our better episodes of the podcast ever a few weeks ago discussing the potential ripple effects of Oklahoma and Texas to the SEC. So fill me in, dude. What's the word on this ACC Big Ten Pac-12 alliance? What would it look like? Is there any chance it actually happens? Well, the, the last question is the million-dollar question, right? Uh, and, and as always, the devil's in the details. It sounds like that, first of all, this is not original reporting. This was reported by The Athletic a few days ago, so I don't want people thinking I'm breaking news here because I'm not. Um, basically, what this would end up looking like, is some, looking like is some sort of scheduling compact where – 
the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 agreed uh, that they would basically exclusively use each other, almost exclusively, or maybe even exclusively use each other for non-conference scheduling um, in an effort to secure the future of those three conferences. Um, Obviously, the SEC's expansionist policies with Texas and Oklahoma, and just a few years ago, Missouri, um, that has completely changed the landscape of college football with Texas and Oklahoma leaving the Big 12. And rightfully so, the Pac-12, the Big 10, and the ACC are looking within and saying, how in the hell are we going to keep ourselves from becoming the Big 12, Um, which was already eight conferences, right? Um, And I think something like this is creative. I don't know if it's a good idea. As always, it depends on exactly how it's executed. But any way that the ACC can can solidify itself and give its members, <clears throat> Clemson and Florida State and Miami, give its members reason to stay within the conference, that's a huge plus for the entire conference as a whole. So I don't know exactly what this would look like. My guess is that it would, it would be heavily based on those non-conference uh, games. Uh, you would probably see a lot of ACC Pac-12 games. You'd see a lot of Big Ten uh, Pac-12 games, which we see some of already. Um, obviously, Scott Frost probably won't be coaching any of those games because his ass is going to get fired soon. But this this partnership, if done right, could be a severe uh, and a very impactful counterbalance to what the SEC is trying to do. Now, where would the Big 12 factor into all of this? Would they just dissolve? They'd be dead because and, – and I quite honestly, I don't blame the other three conferences for not caring about the Big 12. It's not their job to try and save that conference. Those schools are going to have to try and figure it out. I don't think any of us know exactly what this is going to end up look like. There's been a lot of speculation and a lot of wargaming as to what this all could look like. Lord knows I've done a ton of it. And quite honestly, I've been, I've been wondering about a, a Big 12 – uh, dissolution for quite some time because it just kind of makes sense that conference has always been not always but that conference is running behind the eight ball in terms of revenue um, the Pac-12 is the Pac-12 is barely ahead of them I mean the, the Pac-12 has some big names but uh, their their revenue has been struggling and so is their football program or their football presence um, so the Big 12 would basically just be screwed, I think. Um, that's not good for the sport, but if you're Virginia Tech and you're the ACC, you have to be really selfish right now, and you have to find a way to make sure that you survive. Everyone else be damned. So logistically speaking, because like you said, the the last question of can this actually happen is the big question. I'm looking at TV deals right now, and the Pac-12 has a deal with ESPN and Fox that runs out in 2024. The Big Ten has a deal with ESPN and Fox that runs out in 2023, same neighborhood. And then we have the Swafford effect. ACC and ESPN linked together under the same terms until 2036. Could this be what prevents an alliance from happening? 
Dude, I'm going to be I'm going to be 40 before that. I'm going to be 40 years old before that deal expires. You realize that, right? Yeah, it'll be that's when I'm when I turn 40. <laughs> I mean, I mean, god, that's such a terrible deal. The the one thing about getting out of a deal like that would be some sort of partnership that would allow the ACC to then have leverage to renegotiate. And this is something that um I've talked with some friends about uh, if the ACC were to add members, um, the only way the ACC is going to be able to renegotiate that deal is if a they find or really if they find a way to add value to their conference. They can do that one of two ways: they can enter into some sort of partnership agreement uh, with the Big Ten and the Pac-12, or they could just add members to the conference, and those members would have to carry significant weight. Another part of this that we really didn't touch on yet and I think is important to mention is this kind of partnership would really put the pressure on Notre Dame to, to get in line. Um, if if you have ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 basically guaranteeing that they're going to play each other in non-conference games, Notre Dame is, is out. There's not going to be any room for them. And they're going to have to join a conference. They're just not going to have a choice. And the logical place for them is obviously going to be the ACC unless there is some sort of of giant realignment agreement between the Big Ten and the ACC that allows Notre Dame to go into the Big Ten and the Big Ten would have to forfeit probably one or two members in order to to try and help compensate. Um, again, I don't know how in the hell this is going to get executed. Uh, thank God it's not on my plate because I'm not really sure what the best answer is. Uh, but th- some some kind of partnership like this would have just as much of an effect on the future of the, of, of the sport and the industry as what the SEC is doing. And that would be two cataclysmic events in college football, one, you know, pr- pretty close in time. And the uh, NLI or NIL stuff is right there as well. I mean, that's another giant event that is affecting the sport. So college football is is really really close to becoming an entirely different industry um and who knows maybe if it, it it could end up in the NCA not even existing if if the other three conferences create some sort of partnership and the SEC is off doing their own thing the NCA would would be rendered almost useless at least for what we now call the power 5 level um there are just so many different things that could end up happening because of this. Yeah. I, one thing that really does stick out about what you're saying about Notre Dame is that in Notre Dame's current deal with the ACC, they would have to join the conference if they were to join a conference anytime between now and 2036. Now, obviously yeah. some would say the big 10 from a financial perspective, from a geographic relevance perspective, would make a lot more sense for Notre Dame. But at the same time, the ACC is going to be able to throw the book at them and say, all right, like, you know, you're going to have to pay us a very, very large sum of money to the degree where it might not even be worth it for you to take the alternative deal. But I I just really do wonder how quickly these – ripple effects are going to play themselves out ricky are we looking at it like five years are we looking at three years i mean obviously texas 
and Oklahoma to the SEC isn't happening overnight. So my question no, is... No, but I do think it's going to happen a lot sooner than 2025, uh, which is when I believe their, their membership is up in the SEC. I don't think it's going to take that long. Um, I, I, the Big 12 is going to end up letting them go early, I think. Um, so... In five years, this could all, or at least a lot of it, could be executed. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma could be within, could be in the SEC within five years. Um, they could be in the SEC within probably two or three seasons. Three seasons is probably more, more, uh, more accurate. Um, some sort of ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12 partnership that would probably take at least three to five years, but. We could we could get together in five years from now on August nineteenth, twenty twenty six, and the sport could be so drastically different. Um, it it really could happen that fast. That's a, it's definitely interesting. I I think about this in terms of questions like. West Virginia to the ACC, when could we possibly see that? Obviously, there's so many different scenarios that could play out as a result of this, and I'm sure some that actually happened, see Rutgers to the Big Ten a decade ago, are ones that people aren't thinking about at the time. So that's what makes me curious, because it seems like we had the initial blast of, oh my God, everything's going to change, and then over the course of the last month or so, there's been a lull. And but what's a lull for us as fans is also athletic directors across the country scrambling, distrust between members within individual conferences, stories that come out with that may, there may be a hint of truth to that are ultimately derided as false. See Clemson to the SEC, that, that rumor yeah. that we saw online a few months ago. So I, I just feel like everyone's kind of on pins and needles here. And, and I don't expect that to change anytime in the near future. Absolutely not. I mean, at, at this point, you really can't trust anybody um, until you get, you know, things locked down in writing. You have to assume basically that you're, you're minutes away from being cast out into the abyss, which would be the American athletic conference. <laughs> and, um, given Tech's history in the Metro Conference and basketball and being an independent in football and almost missing the boat in the Power Five, kind of the beginning of the Power Five realignment, Tech fans know all too well what that could look like. And um, I, I don't know if Jim Phillips is the right guy for the ACC. I, I just don't know. I mean, I it's way too early to know if he – was a good hire. Obviously, he has background at a, a big school in the Big Ten, but um, at some point, you just you're just sitting here wondering: Does the ACC have the kind of visionary leadership that is necessary to help try and and, and navigate these waters? I mean, Greg Sankey is doing it in the in the SEC, right? Like he is all over it, top to bottom. Um, is is Jim Phillips? capable of doing that um is kevin warren in the big 10 capable of doing that he seemed pretty incompetent last year when it came to the college football season the pac-12 has been largely incompetent for years now and now they have a brand new commissioner so 
the SEC is definitely the big bully in the room right now, and it's it's a matter of these other conferences finding a way to make sure that they get theirs and that their their futures are solidified. And who the hell knows what this is going to end up looking like. Yeah, man, I absolutely agree. I, I mean, I think if you take a comparison to the business world, Greg Sankey has proven himself to be that visionary leader that's not afraid to disrupt the industry. And, he, and he's not going to let the confines of the way the industry is currently assembled or aligned or the perceived rules, even as portrayed by the NCAA to prevent him from getting to where he wants to be. We've seen that with Jeff Bezos and Amazon constantly adjusting, constantly adapting, constantly expanding. And competitors who are on the outside looking in, not taking those risks, maybe not even coming up with the idea of risking it all, are, are, are kind of with one hand behind their back trying to play catch up. And it's uh, unfortunately when we talk about the TV deal, and obviously that's no fault of Jim Phillips, but he no, has inherited God, no. an ideal situation. And it'll be interesting to see what the plan is to get out of it. Ricky, I got one more question for you. It yep. pertains to Virginia Tech. It pertains to a position battle because I don't even know where we're going to be on our podcast next week. We may have to do our kind of full season preview Next week, because two weeks from now, we're going to be in North Carolina preview mode, which sounds crazy, but we're running out of off-season podcasts. I know. Right it's been absolutely position, nuts. The right tackle position. Probably the biggest question mark on an offensive line where at least three players, that being Tanuta, Lasita, Smith, and Hoffman, are locked in. There's the question of Johnny Jordan. How does he fit into the equation? He was a Big Ten honorable mention. Smaller guy, probably best fit at the center position. Do you want to move Hoffman? But regardless, the right tackle position and the right guard position. How do you see those spots shaking out? Right tackle is probably going to end up being Silas Danzi uh, or Silas Janzi, depending on how you pronounce his last name. I've messed that up probably for three years now. Um, Silas is probably the answer at right tackle. I think center and right guard is just the matter of preference for, for Vance Vice. It'll be Brock Hoffman or Johnny Jordan. Uh, I, I don't think there are, are any other viable starting options at the moment. I could be wrong. Vance Vice could have a, you know an ace up his sleeve, but it looks like the, the top five linemen are set. It's just a matter of where you want to put them. Uh, obviously, Jordan is best being either at center or guard. Hoffman is, is best being at center or guard. Janzi's probably better on the interior, but you really have to play him at right tackle, which is at least a position that he's familiar with. He's played plenty of left and right tackle in his career where you know that he should be competent out there. Um, so that's probably what it's going to look like. My guess would be that uh, Jordan is going to probably start at right guard and Hoffman will start at center. Um, that's just a guess, though. I th those two could definitely be flip-flopped. Yeah, definitely a uh, definitely an interesting situation. And I think that the whoever inherits that right tackle role is going to have big shoes to fill. I feel like Virginia Tech fans were were blessed not only by Christian Derrissaw, but the consistency that Tenuta brought last year. If And with lack of depth, to some degree, it could spiral fast. But, Ricky, I know you got somewhere to go. So you got any more, any last words for the folks at home? 
Uh, rate, review, subscribe. Um, go play golf before the weather gets cold. True. Um, go to the go to the beach before the weather gets cold. Um, go follow Andrew on Twitter. Listen to Andrew's radio show on ESPN Blacksburg. Go follow me on Twitter. Go follow our boy Dave Scarangella at Dulles District on Twitter. Uh, we're going to have him on during the season for sure. And for yeah, sure. I guess we're going to have to go. We're, we're going to have to go ahead and do the season preview next week, uh, considering we are right there for North Carolina mode. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe that. But are you going to be able to make it? I am Carolina working game? on it. I am working on it. It is, it is possible. Um, I will okay. give you more updates as I can. Um, if I go, I'm not sure what capacity it will be in. Uh, there's a chance it will not be as a fan, but we'll see. For sure. For sure. All right, Ricky, as always, thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you to good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Shout out Mike. Yes. He'll be back. Follow him on Twitter too. Mike McDaniel SOS. Get in fights with him. It's what gets me through the work day. <laughs> he loves engaging with the gallery. He has never he has never seen an insult that he does not want to respond to, which I've always found to be very <laughs> But yeah, folks, that's yeah. gonna do it for us. Uh until then, go hokey.